Welcome, Fivers, to another episode of High Five, the podcast, a movie podcast for people who like other stuff, too. On this week's episode, your hosts Q and Jay dive into some of their favorite movies and hopefully talk about some of your favorites, too. Feel free to yell at your speakers when we ignore your favorites, or you could just tweet at us with your choices, like an adult. Now, let's join Q and Jay in the writer's room as they dive in. Fair warning. This podcast may contain spoilers for movies that came out 20 years ago, but at this point, that's really your fault. And now, on with the show. behind me they want to eat your brains who who okay first who are you and two brains it's me your totally normal cohort q why are you doing that ow oh fuck why did you bite me i told you we're coming to get you jay you said they're coming to get me not you ow oh you you I often use the wrong participle, Jay. High five, Jay. Yes. Should we high five? High five! High five! High five! High five! High five, son! High five! Don't let me hang it. Oh, man. I don't know what to do now that my partner's a zombie. This is going to make the podcast far more interesting than it normally is. <laughs> you suddenly, be, you're like Blue's Clues, but like of the dead. What are some of his songs? Uh, we'll sit down in our thinking chair and think, think, think. We gotta save ourselves from the living dead. <laughs> oh, what was that other one? Give me some heroin or something like that. Is that was that a famous Blues Clues song? I don't know. They the host from Blues Clues was like a famous drug addict. Did, was he though? Or was I think that, that may be a rumor. Was that an urban legend? That might have been like an, one of those uh, urban legends. Them there ur- urban legends, like the movie from the early two thousands. Yes, yes, that's not very great. But Urban. it does have Joshua Jackson and a whole bunch of people that you don't remember are in that movie. 
That is true. Isn't Jared Leto in that movie? Jared Leto is in that movie. Pre this is pre Joker, pre American Psycho Jared Leto. This is uh this is like Fight Club era Jared Leto. Uh I think even Tara Reed has a cameo in the movie or something. And uh Michael Rosenbaum is in the oh, right. is in it. Do you remember when he played Lex Luthor on Smallville? Uh, I mean, I never watched Smallville too much, but I do remember the, seeing the pictures of him as Lex Luthor. Hey, Luthor. speaking of speaking of Smallville and Michael Rosenbaum, I have one of those like funny hypotheticals to ask you. Oh, here. please! Uh, those are my favorite. It's hilarious. So put on your pee pee <laughs> okay, pants because okay. you're about to wet yourself with hilarity. <laughs> um, so are you fam- you're familiar with like the DC television universe? Like that's the one it, that you've like you've watched some of like Titans and um, Arrow. The, uh, well, I'm thinking oh, more oh, specifically like, like oh like CW the CW version. So like yes. Arrow. Flash. I haven't watched all of them, but like we watched quite a bit of Arrow, and we watched I think three seasons of the Flash. Never got into Legends of Tomorrow or Supergirl though. Sure, but I know of them. Well, did you know? So they're they're building up because one of the cool things that they do on DC. TV is is they uh, do a lot of crossovers they, between shows. They do, although I w- okay. Let me. I'll, I think I know where this is going, but I'll I'll make uh say make a statement about that right now. Okay, uh, that's one of the reasons that we haven't been able to catch up because in order to like watch Flash all the way through, you have to then jump to the other shows because the continuity matters between all of them, which is sure. super cool, but it makes it hard to play catch up. Yes, I mean, that's true, and it's hard. You can't just be, like, a casual viewer. Yes, yeah, no, it's like, how many episodes? You have, like, 37 episodes this season? I have 190 hours of Arrow (laughs) and The Flash to catch up on? I don't think so. I'll Uh, watch eight episodes of Haunting of Hill House, thank you very much. Well, they're building to uh, their biggest event yet, which is... Crisis on Infinite Earths. I have seen. Is this the one that Brandon Routh is even coming back yes. for? Okay, I yes. have seen pictures or press for this. Very it, cool. It's going so far th- that Kevin Conroy is going to be on screen really? as Bruce Wayne. Yes. Wow. Uh, they are also going to have uh, their uh, what do you call it? Easter eggs of Michael Keaton's Batman. So th- there will be newspapers that have. Photos of Michael Keaton. Oh, wow. So they're doing, like, every iteration of Batman and Superman. Are they having, uh, like, Kevin Smith come and direct part of that? or pr- Probably. Because he's done a couple of the Flash ones. I know he he's, has. He's, he's also done Supergirl. Yeah. Um, but my point is, is they're bringing back. So Tom Welling from Smallville is going to okay. be playing I a did. version of Superman. Okay. I did think I, I do think I read that. And they reached out to Michael Rosenbaum. Uh-huh. To uh, reprise his Lex Luthor. Was he like, nah, I'm too rich off of urban legend residuals? So they reached out to him, and they were basically, his story is, they were like, hey, we're doing Crisis on Infinite Earths. We want you to be a part of it. And he was like, cool, send me a script. And they were like, no. We don't. (laughs) They were like, we don't have one yet, and also like, we're not sending everybody the full script because you know that's how they do nowadays. That shit goes on lockdown. Well, I mean, even the Game of Thrones cast doesn't know like what's going on with scenes they're not in. And he said, "All right, well, if I can't have the script, I'm not doing it." Now, here's my question: What the fuck are you doing, Michael (laughs) Rosenbaum? 
You know what I'm saying? Like, and he's he put out this like faux apology to his fans, and he was like, "I know you guys really want to see this. You guys are like I, super bummed. I'm not going to be in this. Yeah, and I hope that you will respect my decision." And I'm just like, man, can't you just like suck it up for the fans? Even if they're like, we'll pay you five dollars. Okay. Right? Here you're, here's the thing. You're gonna be a cameo. Here's the thing. I just looked it up on IMDB. And I I can kinda understand it. I mean, he's been super busy um doing one thing last year, which was a voice in Lego DC Supervillains, the video game. Oh, dope. Got it. Do you so, think they sent him the script for that? He was he was Barry Allen for that. He, <laughs> he demanded the script. Perfect. Got it. And and, uh, and I don't know. I actually, ironically, have played this exact video game because uh, did it's you really... recognize his voice? I didn't recognize his voice, but Barry <laughs> Allen is has maybe five lines in the whole game. Perfect. Excellent. All the heroes get sent to another universe, so he's in the very beginning and at the very end. So that kind of leads me to my question, which is, do you think, and I know that this isn't really on topic, but this just popped into my head, and I, I, I'm very curious what your answer is. Do you think that as a star of a fandom-related show, do you have any sort of responsibility to your fans? Do you feel like you can, like... If you look at this situation, are you kind of like, that's kind of shitty, man. Like, even if they're not paying you much, it, it'll be like, what, maybe a day's worth of work? Yeah. And your fans will go ape shit. You want my honest opinion? Yes. Like, not like, ooh, podcast acting opinion? Yeah, no, I just want to know. I think it's a shitty thing to do. Yeah, okay. Like, I, 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 I don't know. Too. I don't know if I'd go so far as to say he has a responsibility to his fans, but I guess at the heart of it, that's exactly what I think, is yeah. that, you know, he he did his job. He was contracted to be Lex Luthor on that show. He did that for however many years, and I understand. Now, here's here's what I'll say. If it was a situation where he couldn't do it but wanted to, he doesn't have a responsibility to forego other things to do this. Sure. But if it's like, you know what? I would love to do that, but I'm in Australia that entire filming time doing a movie that I've been trying to get made for four years or whatever, then okay. But if it's just kind of like they didn't give me the exact terms I wanted, I couldn't see a script, and I don't have creative control over my cameo, then that's shit. That's, that's shit. kind of douchey, right? That's real douchey. I mean, like, think about it. Like, if, um, I mean, if Ash from Evil Dead, uh, I just, that's how I call him. Uh, like, if he was like that, you know? Sure. Like, he doesn't have a responsibility to the Evil Deadites that are out there, but, I mean, fuck. But Bruce if you Campbell ask knows... Bruce Campbell to be Ash for five seconds at a con, he will. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the and and uh, this is interesting. Uh, it, it's kind of referencing something that we shared on our social. But you recently interviewed Bobcat Goldthwait. I did um, totally at at the Tallgrass Film Festival. And if people haven't watched that interview, it's really good. Find it on our social or on Project Nerd's website. But that's Project the, Hyphen Nerd. Just yeah, Project Hyphen Nerd. Our uh, benevolent overlords. The, the podcast Project Hyphen Nerd Podcast Network. Uh, but oh, by the way, everybody, welcome to High Five Call on the podcast. Whatever the fuck. Um, so okay, <laughs> we're so, just right into it today. Um, what was I saying? Uh, you were talking about Bobcat Gold. Oh, that's right. You were interviewing him, and you were being so like you know pleasant and honoring to him. But he kept 
going into the joke of, oh, well, on my tombstone, they'll only remember me as the police academy guy. But the thing is, I know that he likes that he has that. He's not, like, ashamed of that. He no. has accepted it, and he he is who he is. He's the director that he is, but he doesn't give up, like, what his fandoms were. Sure. And that's kind of my thing. Like, here's another deep cut. You ready? You know who Jason David Frank is? Oh, that name is familiar, but I'm he's not. The, he's the Green Ranger from no, right. Power Rangers. He's Tommy. This dude will never stop being oh, the yeah. Green Ranger at every opportunity. He'll come you to your what? birthday party as the like, Green Ranger. He totally, he totally will. And you, you have to what? pay extra for him to come as the White Ranger, but he will, goddammit. But he will. I have the utmost respect for this dude. It's a little weird and a little kooky, and yeah, I mean, he's been he's been the White Ranger for like twenty five years now. But I mean, that's the thing is, I always respect, and you know, and we've been to a handful of cons now. Sure, and I so respect people that don't that don't want to push away the things that drew people into their orbit. Right, you know. Um, I, I love when people can, it, and it doesn't have to be, you know, people who, oh, well, I only live in the past and this is, you know, you know, everything. And like, I love people who push their artistic sensibilities and want to do new things, but people who acknowledge that the things people care about are important to them is like, oh, well, I am past that point in my life now. And I sure. no longer will lower myself to speak of this thing that I was in that everyone loved except for me for some reason. Like, and I can get after, after a time how it can be annoying, but I mean, well, I do a gig. I do have to put this out there and I'm going to go ahead and just put this on the recording. So it's etched in the internet stone forever. Please do. Okay. Edit it out. So it never hits that stone next year after we've broken up and after the show's been off the air for a year. I and our fans are begging for a reunion show. Right? Yeah. I'm gonna need to see a script first. I'm just Oh yeah, no, I mean that's that's a given. Like I'm, I'm gonna even, need to I see I wouldn't come anywhere near you without some sort of script. Right. I need to know what my part is gonna be. I wanna know if I'm still playing Q. Listen or if I, I'm I'm kind of angling for to be J, honestly. You know, I can honestly, see that the role would fit you. Um, I, I think it would be it would be good. Now listen, I, I'm not gonna say that the the script writing is gonna really be to your humor on that like you might have to stretch a little bit to pull off the character of jay um but you know i i actually believe you can do it i probably won't be there i'll have my understudy come and be q got it that's fair that's i think i think that's fine that's fine yeah so i just want to set expectations for our fans now oh yeah one year from now when we've been off the air for a year right this is the last episode, everybody. <laughs> that's kind of what I, that's what I kept alluding to. One year from this exact moment when we have been off the air for exactly a one year. year. Yeah. Um, we probably you're probably not going to get the reunion that you've hoped for. But I mean, it's going to be something, and you're going to like it because you're gonna you're gonna have to. You know who but I'm going to get? Michael who, Rosenbaum. I'll do it. <laughs> The thing is, he won't do it without a script, man. I'm going to send him a script. <laughs> okay, good. It's just going to be the wrong – you're just going to send him a script to, like, an always uh, an always sunny in Philadelphia script? Yeah. 
That's it. Here's the script. It's like, this is an Always Sunny episode. It's like, yeah, yes. just show up and say a fucking line, you asshole. <laughs> Put Here's- on this bald cap and let me kick you in the nuts. <laughs> hey, you know who never shied away from fans? And knowing and knowing their role in the pop culture zeitgeist. Are you about to segue me? George A. fucking Romero. George Romero. George A. stands for awesome Romero. It does. And you know what? That dude knew exactly who his audience was. And that dude embraced the fuck out of it. So this isn't okay, guys. Welcome back to that was a, a good segue. It was actually an awesome segue, <laughs> and that's that. And it gets me excited to actually dive in and continue our high five colon the podcast horror movie director Halloween marathon it's series. Our, here, here comes Halloween. Yes, here comes Halloween director movies horror movie director series. Yep. Colon, the, the name, podcast. <laughs> the name is just awesome. It's so catchy, it just rolls off the tongue like butter. Gross. Exactly. Um, like but margarine. It's, it's not like that that hack uh, Wes Craven that we talked yeah. about a couple episodes ago. <laughs> I thought you were about to go in again on Michael Rosenbaum. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like that fucking piece of shit garbage Michael Rosenbaum. That's, I'm going to continue that for the rest of the episode. Let's just have a beef. <laughs> High five versus Michael you know Rosenbaum. What? You know what? Fuck you, official, Michael Rosenbaum. Official right now, High Five the Podcast, Cole in the Podcast, has a beef with Michael <laughs> Rosenbaum. And Michael Rosenbaum, if you want to step up to the plate and deal with us like a man, I'd like to see that in Me your ball cap. But you have to do it as Lex Luthor. Yeah. <laughs> if and you y- don't, you're a punk-ass bitch. And you have to send us a script. <laughs> <laughs> to make sure we want to make that cameo with you. Yeah. If we are going to make this cameo in our feud, Michael, you got to prepare. Michael, while you're busy being an asshole, Jay and I will be taking the role of Lex Luthor in the Crisis on Infinite Earths. We'll both be playing it. We're going to both be playing you, but we're going to play it like we're we're just going to show up and be like, Grr, I'm Michael Rosenbaum. (laughs) I fucking suck. I pee-pee and poo-poo in my pants before I came to set. That's how we're going to... I like to rub this bald cap on my bum before I put it on my head. Right. See, you could have played yourself and saved yourself that embarrassment, but, but now, now now we're doing it. Now we're going to do it. And introducing QNJ as Michael <laughs> Rosenbaum as, as Lex Luthor. Yep. In From Crisis on Infinite. That is a crisis on Infinite Earths. That <laughs> really 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 is. Oh man. George Romero, right? <laughs> what a fucking guy. No, what I was saying is that hack a Wes Craven stepping out and making some Barbara Streisand music of the heart movie. What yeah. are we doing, Wes? More like music of the shart. Poop <laughs> 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 <Yes>. jokes. <laughs> ah, fart. Um, but yep. no, this George Romero, he's like, you know what? I'm going to make scary movies. And then he, he pretty much just did. <laughs> that was pretty much it. You're right. So George Romero, most people know him. For the movie that he, I mean, is it literally defined his career. There's always vanilla. Right, exactly. Um, Everybody, when they think George Romero, they think 1971's There's Always Vanilla. Right, which, as everybody knows, is the prequel to Shock-A-Lot. And he he was the editor and cinematographer on that film. Career-defining. It was hard for him to step out of that shadow. I mean, they called him Vanilla Vanilla George for like thirty years. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say they called him Vanilla Sky. <laughs> no, 
that's but someone it, else's movie. They called him Vanilla's Guy. Vanilla's Guy. <laughs> Vanilla's and that's actually guy. the inspiration for the Tom Cruise movie, Vanilla's Guy. Little known fact, it actually was Cameron Crowe was inspired by George A. Romero's nickname, Vanilla's Guy. And he's like, you know what? There's a yep. movie in there. There's a movie here. <laughs> off, based off of this title alone. I know what this movie's going to be about. Mind memory alterations. And Tom and Tom Cruise in a Phantom of the Opera mask. <laughs> Vanilla's guy. Thanks, George. You know who we need to star in this movie? Two people whose last name is Cruise. <laughs> right. Oh. I need and people Penelope are like, Cruise. Are they, are they married? Tom Cruise. Like, no, they're not. It's nope. spelled different. Spelled very differently. Also, Tom is a Scientologist, so they, so only get, they only get married if the church says it's okay. And that's right. And you know what else the church says? Fuck Michael Rosenbaum. <laughs> that is, oddly enough, that is one of the <laughs> 72,000 <laughs> rules in the of Scientology the doctrine. Number is Michael Rosenbaum a Scientologist? I don't know, but number 3,748, <laughs> Article B... Clearly states, fuck Michael Rosenbaum. <laughs> That's all that it states, though. Yeah. It's a really weird doctrine. It says to become the next lotus level echelon, laser, <laughs> laser, lotus, whatever. Right. Or whatever. You must, but that. But you also have to pay like $4,000 and punch Michael Rosenbaum in the face. <laughs> right. Well, also, eight. let's be honest. Uh, 3,648 Article A has also come under some scrutiny because, unfortunately, when you write out doctrines like that, there's no context, and it says, fuck Michael Rosenbaum. So some people have been wondering if that means, like, you have to yeah, like have sexual intercourse or if it's just, like, a statement of, like, hate against right. Michael People Rosenbaum. are kind of split 50-50, um, but one of the things that's problematic is that it was translated from the old Xenu articles yes. that they found, and so that's where it's problematic, because they're saying, well, the the original church of Xenu, when they translated this, they may have translated it incorrectly, and so it, it might actually be fart on Michael Rosenbaum. We're just that, not sure. It's true. Hey, you know what I say about Scientologists? What's that? Uh, I hear they love our show, so you know, tread carefully. You know what I call them? What What do you call them? The crazies. Oh, <laughs> you segued back in there. And we're back into that George was, A. That, Romero. That was a bruiser, man. Thank you. Um, so, George A. Romero. Honestly, when I think of the dude, I picture uh, the gray beard, the large, like, square black glasses. <laughs> yes. Like, I can visualize him. He is, like, a caricature of a person to me in my head. Well, and here's the thing about uh, – here's one thing about uh, George Romero that kind of always catches me off guard a little bit is – I mean, he, that, I know he's that always – That he was 20 years old? Yeah, that, that, there's <laughs> that, that. He's, that he's only 20? <laughs> yeah, he wears those big glasses, and he looks like an, a 90-year-old man all the time. Yep. But, no, like, that he started making movies in the early 60s. Yes. That always kind of surprises me. Yeah. Because, I mean, I mean, obviously, we, you know, Night of the Living Dead is what we've been dancing around. That kind of made his career. He sort of launched the whole idea of zombies in film. But now it's so it's such a classic film that you kind of lump it in with like The Exorcist and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and, you know, uh, Child's Play and Friday the 13th. And you don't really think this one came like 
mid to late 60s. Now, I have to ask you, being the <coughs> the horror aficionado of High Five the Podcast that you are, sure. aside from Gates of Haley's Haley, sure. Uh, but you're the OG. You're J. You're the OJ. I'm the OJ. Oh, geez. <laughs> hey, if the, gloves, if the glove doesn't fit, you must have quit. You That's must have quit. So, if your name rhymes with J, you must be OJ. You must be okay. <laughs> J. Uh, so, uh, question about Do- or Night of the Living Dead. And I know you said he kind of brought zombies mainstream. Was this the first movie that sh- depicted zombies in the way that they were depicted? Something like in the back of my head tells me that I heard at some point that like zombies had been in film before, but they were not the brain eating, like shambling, decomposing zombies that were displayed in night of the living dead. That's, that's my understanding. I know, I know that there is like, I think there were some movies from like the thirties or the forties that had zombies in them. But they were mostly just like tranced people. Yes, yes, and I, I and they may. What I don't remember is if they were if they came back from the dead. That's what I kind of don't remember. Okay. I think they were just entranced or sort of they were dead, but they are still walking around type of thing. Sure. Um, which again, I know that's semantics at this point, but I do think here. Let me look. Yeah, okay, White Zombie. That's the one I was thinking of. This is the one I've seen pictures from. White Zombie is considered the first zombie movie, and it was released in the 30s. Okay. But I, I, think, what, I think what George A. Romero really did was he sort of established the tropes that, that became common for the zombie ilk. So you those, know, for the, the moaning, slow shambling... Like, like flesh eating, uh, yes. yeah. Want to eat your brains, yes. kind of situation. That I believe that is what George Romero kind of, I don't want to say pioneered, but I believe that was his big contribution. There is he sort of defined what we still use today as the common criteria for what a zombie is. Like back from the dead, it's a zombie. It's a virus. It's the like you know everyone who is bitten, becomes one, um, they're flesh-eating, they're shambling, they're brain-dead, and I think he kind of locked all that into place. That's right, television fans. You heard it here first. To your shock and awe and amazement, Robert Kirkman did not invent the zombie. No, no, Walking Dead was not the first zombie thing that ever got made. I know (laughs) we're all surprised by this, but trust us, it's not. Gasp. Shock. Ah, shock and all. Um, no, but can you imagine having that sort of like, uh, that sort of recognition as being like the guy that started all of this? Yeah. And what's crazy is like, so George Romero, that's one of the things that fascinated me about him is despite essentially changing the horror genre forever. Right. He never received that, like, mainstream success. 
if that makes sense. Well, he wasn't. He didn't become like a Wes Craven. You know, we talked about Wes Craven and John Carpenter on previous uh, previous episodes, and those guys were you know releasing quote unquote blockbusters. You know, when Wes Craven and Cursed came out. It was a really big freaking deal, right. um, you know, and when John Carpenter's making Escape from New York and and those and uh, Big Trouble in Little China, you know, those those were pop culture movies. Those were staples. Um, you know, Romero, after his kind of run in the 60s, um, he he was a known entity in the horror world. But I do think he was kind of a genre hero as opposed to a well, film like a cinematic hero like and people like Stephen King and people who read Fangoria magazine loved him but not a lot of other people really knew or cared well also he was kind of the godfather of low budget cinema oh man like, he hit it out of the park like he, the what he was able to do like Night of the Living Dead is his debut film right on a shoestring nothing budget and, and he kind of continued that. So like you had mentioned with your John Carpenter's and your Wes Craven, with their success came more money, came bigger budget films. Yeah. Romero kind of lived and breathed his bread and butter, if you will, was the low budget indie cult scene. Yeah. And he liked that. You oh, know what man, I mean? That like, that like pulp horror creep show. I mean, a creep show is a great example. Yeah. I think... Creepshow is one of those that I just believe he loved to make because you can tell just the the pulpiness of it. He had so much fun doing. I actually looked it up. Night of the Living Dead cost $115,000 to make. Which is crazy. That's like someone who's like, hey, what do you want to do this weekend? Buy a Tesla or make a movie? Right? <laughs> exactly. That's crazy. That's crazy, crazy. <laughs> so let's talk about it then. So since we talked about his debut, let's kind of go through his filmography and we'll kind of touch on and see what each of our experience with those films are. Does that sound yeah, good? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what we've done with the other directors. I really like that uh, that um, flow. So, yeah, let's do it. All right. So, well, first off, we've already mentioned it. 1968's Night of the Living Dead, his directorial debut. Right. Um, I mean, what's your experience with Night of the Living Dead? So I actually the came, OG. interestingly enough, to Night of the Living Dead uh, after I'd seen some of the others. Uh, I saw Day of the Dead and Dawn of the Dead well before I saw Night of the Living Dead. Okay. Um, and so I ended up coming back to that one and really, really liking it. It was one of those where I think I watched it late in high school, so I was able to appreciate it and kind of know what he what he was doing with it. You know, it was... It, Thinking about it, you know, like with the tropes that he created for for the zombies in Night of the Living Dead, one of the smartest things he did, and I think he increases this um, in Day of the Dead or Dawn of the Dead. I forget which one. Day of the Dead um, is he ties that that brain dead uh, zombie ness to like consumerism and and cultural market. So like he started to make social commentary with it, which is. When horror does commentary, it can do it really, really well. Sure. And I think that was like kind of the biggest thing with Neither Living Dead is not only was it really smart in the way that he kind of built that analogy, but again, like you said, it was built done on a shoestring budget, but it just struck a nerve with people. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. My experience, honestly, so I caught Night of the Living Dead, I think for the first time on Sci-Fi Channel when I was younger. Oh, really? Um, because Sci-Fi Channel, if I remember correctly, used to play it usually around Halloween. It was kind of their their programming block. 
Um, and so I saw it in bits and pieces. Sure. Over the year, over like my formative years, probably somewhere between like seven and twelve. You know, I, what I, I would mean? imagine, I, and and I know that. I saw clips and stuff of them. I mean, what we were the bit we were doing at the beginning where they're coming to get, get you, you Barbara. Barbara. Like I knew what that was and I had seen clips. And I think when I watched it in high school near the end, I was able to, I had one of those moments of, Oh, this is where all these things come from. Exactly. I was able to like piece it all together. I was like, Oh, I've seen a whole bunch of this. I just didn't know it was all from this. Well, that was um, – now, I will say I never found it to be overly scary. I mean, no, but, I mean, it's it's dread. It's full of dread. Sure. Um, but it – and maybe it was just because I saw it like you uh, after kind of seeing some other right. horrifying horror. Yes. So by today's standards, it's tame. You know what I mean? Yeah, it definitely can be. Um, but it's one of, I don't know, it is one of the the building blocks of the foundation of the modern zombie. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, you know it's just... I mean? It's the cornerstone, if you will. Yeah, regardless of, you know, if, it, if it's still scary today, it's just... It's monumental to to the and genre. And it spawned an amazing song by the band No More Kings. Are you familiar with them? No. And the song is called They're Coming to Get You, Barbara. Oh, really? And it's a fucking awesome song. I highly recommend it. And maybe, just maybe, I'll put it at the end of this episode for everybody Ooh, to, to pay attention. To. Everybody, I will be. Um. All right, so we're we're past let's we're past Night of the Living Dead and okay. on to his most famous movie in 1971. There's always Vanilla. Right. We've already talked about it. It's where he got his nickname, Vanilla's Guy. Yep. <laughs> and <laughs> that's such a stupid joke. But I it's my favorite. Mean, it's I, my favorite I, joke in a while, man. I love it. And it's I don't my know favorite why. joke in a while. Um. So there's always Vanilla. What is your understanding or relationship to that movie? So, um, I first, I actually first came to uh, "There Will Always Be Vanilla" about five minutes ago. Sure. When I was looking at George Romero's uh, IMDb uh, filmography. Sure. And I saw that there was a movie on there called "There's Always Vanilla," and then we started making fun of it. Um, well, that's so, my history with that movie. Well, I'll give you a little. Uh, I'll give you a little synopsis. Okay. okay. So first off, it's a romantic comedy. Amazing. I love it. So um, I take back my statement uh, about Wes Craven. Um, George Romero's also a hack. <laughs> that is true. Uh, it was but his second him. film, but let's say this. It was his only romantic comedy. Good for him. So he did it right out of the gate, got it out of the way. Good. Uh, the tagline to the movie is very interesting, and I'm not 100% sure what it means. Every woman knows why the wrong man is irresistible. It's because there's is he's a vanilla's guy. Because there's always vanilla. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a vanilla's, a vanilla's guy. guy, man. Exactly. Just irresistible. Vanilla's guy. Um, so uh, it follows uh, the life of Chris Bradley, former okay. U.S. Army soldier who has become a drifter and makes money by various means, from pimping to guitar playing. <laughs> Are you just making this up? Nope. 
Nope. A- after working with a band in New York City, Chris returns to his home city of Pittsburgh and visits his father who owns and operates a baby food factory. <laughs> You're definitely making this part up. After an evening out with his father of drinking at a local bar and visiting an old girlfriend named Terry Terrific. Mr. <laughs> 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 now you're definitely making this up. Mr. Bradley wants Chris to abandon his bohemian lifestyle and do what was agreed upon when he separated from the military, return to the family business, but Chris refuses. Because there's always vanilla. Yep. Um, that sounds like a movie I do not want to watch. <laughs> Who is this written by? Rudolph J. Ricci. Oh, I my just, favorite writer. I just love the very casual statement. He becomes a drifter and makes money by various means, from pimping to guitar play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, just this weekend we went to Walmart, um, killed a hooker, uh, and then we went over to Zaxby's because they were having a special. Yeah, did a little jazz music. You know, fucked a couple hobos. <laughs> yeah, it was a great you weekend. Know, I went to go visit my father. <laughs> Who owns, you know, that baby food factory. You remember the baby food factory I told you about. (laughs) That's such a weirdly specific commodity to, like, own a factory for. You know, normally in movies it's like a shoe factory or, like, a tire or a car factory. But that's such a weird pull that they're like, you know what? I really feel like is this father's motivation. He runs a baby food factory. Well, I mean, it was his second job after he gave up and sold the factory that made skis. That's true. The ski factory. Yeah. Um, And also, I just love the uh, alliteration of the name Terry Terrific. (laughs) I just love that the name is Terry Terrific. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what's going on with this movie. Part of me feels like Like we need to put it on the top five just for the hell of it. Would you like to know where the title came from? Please. Why not? We've already talked about this movie way too much. Than we should have on this episode. Uh, Chris has a conversation with his father in the movie. About baby food? Specifically at a Howard Johnson's. Specific. Okay. At a Howard Johnson's. Very important to the story. So much so that they put it in the synopsis. With his father. Where his father tells Chris that life is like an ice cream parlor. And that all of life's most exotic flavors to choose from. There's always vanilla to fall back on. That sounds like terrible advice. <laughs> <laughs> so it basically says, hey, remember when all of these awesome things can come out of life? You can always just settle. <laughs> That's the name of the movie. So you're telling me that George Romero's follow up to Night of the Living Dead is, hey, just settle. <laughs> <laughs> yep. At Howard Johnson. <coughs> well, that's with that's in theme. You've yeah. already settled if you're at a Howard Johnson's. But I do like so that's why there's there's always vanilla. That's terrible. Yep. All right. That's so very <laughs> terrible. But now you see. <laughs> I see what you did there. Now you <laughs> see why that is his most famous film, and why once <laughs> that's again the only one people can talk about. His nickname is Vanilla's Guy. Vanilla's Guy. He's that yep. Vanilla's Guy man. You know. Listen. When there's a world full of different flavors of directors, there's always always, Michael Rosenbaum. There's always Vanilla's guy. (laughs) All right. Uh, So also, do you think that's where Forrest Gump got life is like a box of chocolate? I know it is. (laughs) It's from Chris's father. And there's always Vanilla saying life is like an ice cream parlor. Yeah. And he's like, well, I can't use ice cream parlor because 
Vanilla's guy, Vanilla's guy already did, did that. that. Um, but we can change it to a box of chocolates. Not vanilla, but chocolates. But chocolates. Um, so next up on the docket, we have a return to the horror genre. Woohoo! In 1973's Season of the Witch. Now, this one, not a big fan of. I don't think Nick Cage does very well in it. Um, I... <laughs> yep, perfect. He does <laughs> He does terrible. Actually, uh, Ron Perlman acted circles around him in Season of the Witch. Oh, he is just way better. They're both doing totally different accents. <laughs> <laughs> that movie... Is embarrassingly bad, everybody. But watch it. Like, oh, it's yeah, one of you those from me. I saw it in the theater. Did you? No, you didn't. I did. I went to an advanced screening of Season Why? of the Because. I mean, it's Nick It Cage was available. And, it's and Nick Ron Cage Perlman. and Ron Perlman in a witch hunting movie. That was directed by the guy who did Con Air. Yeah. <laughs> I was like... <clears throat> You're in it to win it. I'm so fucking in it. You know what I'm saying? But uh, that's not this movie. <laughs> that is not this movie. Uh, this movie is a... Uh, Romero used to describe this as a feminist film. Okay. Um, and it follows a housewife in suburban Pittsburgh who becomes involved in witchcraft after, loaded, after meeting a local witch. So, originally this movie was called Hungry Wives. Yes. Which I can see why if you wanted it to be a feminist movie... He changed it. Right. Well, the film's distributor did that. Oh, really? They, they cut out major parts of the film, changed its title to Hungry Wives, and marketed it as a softcore porn. Are you you're making that up? No, I'm very serious. This is amazing. I didn't so, know that. So the film failed to find an audience on its initial release and was re-released years later under the title Season of the Witch. That's amazing. Yep. So the distributor was like, hey... Listen, I'm glad you made this actual hey, film. We're Vanilla's just going to go. But what we really like are the sexy booby parts. So, <laughs> well, but that's, I imagine that's how they talked in the 70s. They were like, listen. <laughs> we, you know what we really like? Sexy booby parts. Sexy booby parts. So we're going to go ahead and just chop out all this narrative hoopli blah. And we're just going to leave all the sexy booby parts. And you know what? Uh, Season of the Witch, not really feeling that title. Maybe... Hungry Wives. <laughs> wow. Okay. I actually have to read you this. So this is, I, I found this uh, on IMDb. Originally filmed and released in 71 under the title Hungry Wives, which you just mentioned. Uh. It ran 130 minutes. The movie was re-edited for foreign distribution and re-released as Jack's Wife a year later after and only running 104 minutes. So they cut out <laughs> another 30 minutes. Whoa. In response to George Romero's successful release of Creepshow, Jack's wife got re-re-released on home video as Season of the Witch, with its runtime trimmed again to only 89 minutes. <laughs> That's amazing. So they It's just... like every time they saw it, they're like, what can we take away from this and still leave the boobies? <laughs> we like them sexy booby parts. We do like them sexy booby I do like their... Listen, once again, I know we talked about context earlier with the whole fuck Michael Rosenbaum thing. Um, once again, the the tagline on the poster for this movie. Ready for this? No, probably not. Caviar in the kitchen. Nothing in the bedroom. <laughs> what? <laughs> now, context clues lead me to believe that what their intention was to say caviar in the kitchen 
like nothing like no clothes on in the bedroom right that can't that's not grammatically how you say that but then i i'm looking at it again and it says caviar in the kitchen which means that you're like amazing in the kitchen like you're, you're like fucking, rich and fancy in the kitchen but you're fucking shit in the bedroom <laughs> that's like that's the thing is like okay so are you like super fancy in the kitchen and day-to-day life and then just non-existent do you just like disappear in, in the, the bedroom bed, like, Poof, that's the witchcraft like specifically. ah exactly and then the title has a subtitle so hungry wives with an appetite for diversion diversion <laughs> diversion so hungry hungry wives <laughs> caviar in the kitchen and hungry wa- this is getting weird they like they have an appetite for being distracted. <laughs> <laughs> Them crazy women love to be distracted. They hungry for it. What the fuck does that even mean, man? What does that even mean? I feel like we need to watch season of the witch. You know, okay, you know what, Q? <laughs> yep. Here's what you and I are going to do one day. Okay. We're going to do a Saturday Twitch live stream double header. And we're going to watch both seasons of The Witches back-to-back. I would love to do that. George A. Romero's version first. Probably the Hungry Wives version. Perfect. And leading right into the Nick Cage, Ron Perlman season of The Witch. And we're going to compare the two. I love it. Please. Because they're obviously a remake of each other. Done. That's what we're doing. Okay, great. Hopefully everyone will sit around with us for... uh, a varying d- length of degrees, considering this movie was edited 17 times. <laughs> Jay, listen, that gives me an idea. If that works and people love, let us know if you guys want to actually have us do that. Let us oh, know we'll on Twitter. It. Let us know on Twitter. Let us know on, on Facebook. Face- Reach out to Project da- or Hyphen Nerd. Let them know. They have they have the Twitch channel that we can use, guys. Yeah. Like so, we'll if you do want this. this to happen, we can make this happen. Of you watch us watch both seasons of The Witches. Yep, and then we'll discuss the differences. (laughs) Yeah, we'll compare them. So then, uh, Jay, I'm also hoping if if people want to see that, and I'm really hoping you do, listeners. uh, I have a feeling there are several movies similarly titled that we could do this with. You know what? Now I want to watch them at the exact same time. (laughs) Just have them like two televisions next to each other. Try and sync them up like Dark Side of the Moon and Wizard of Oz. Well, it'll be like, you know, when you go to your grandparents' house and they have like the big broken TV on the floor and the smaller TV on top of it. But this is a situation where both TVs work and we just have both seasons of The Witches playing at the exact same time. And we try to Um, decipher what's going on in both. Now, I will say this. Uh, (laughs) Nicolas Cage season of The Witch, runtime, an hour and 53 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's too long for that well we could watch um jack's wife twice or we could watch the original cut how long was that one uh, 130 uh, some odd minutes yeah that would say that would work we can watch hungry wives the original the, the one original. with the appetite for diversion <laughs> all right so we're only three movies in Lord we gotta heaven. we gotta move this along uh so next up we've got 1973's the crazy okay now we're back to horror yes now i will say um, I've seen the original. Uh, I honestly, and I don't know how much pushback I'm going to get from this, but I <laughs> prefer the remake. You know what? This is a situation which uh, I'm going to divert from George A. Romero love and agree with you. Okay. The, the idea for the crazies, like what he wrote is great. 
Yes. Like the idea of it's almost like the reverse of the of zombies. It's a virus that makes you like overly violent and fast and strong and all that. Yes. I love the concept of that. I just think that the modern, some of the modern horror sensibilities, like the way we make, we made movies back in the early aughts when that, the remake was done serves what that story was trying to do a little bit better. I, I would agree with that. Um, now the one we're talking about is Breck Eisner in 2010, uh, did a remake. Yes. And now it had, um, Oh, well, who was it? Is a uh, Josh Duhamel? Yes. Okay. Now here's the thing. Or is it him or is it Timothy Oliphant? It's one of them. They're basically the same person. They are the same person. Let's double check this real quick. Okay. Um now here's the deal. If you're looking at at Eichner's or his other filmography, it is Timothy Oliphant. Okay. Um who looks shockingly like Josh Duhamel. <laughs> <laughs> um if you're looking at his other movies, he has such uh Amazing filmography as Sahara. Ugh. Uh, he also has uh, The Last Witch Hunter, starring Vin Diesel. That one. Have you seen that? I have, unfortunately. It, it is nearly unwatchable. It's almost not a movie. It, like, it's, it's barely <laughs> a movie. It's you know like, what I mean? The only thing that makes it a movie is that Michael Caine is kind of in it. That's kind of the thing. It's it's like one of those things where it's like they had a bunch of concepts and they're like, yeah. let's just do that. And then Vin Diesel was like, oh, yeah, let's do it for the family. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you guys want to play D&D on a, set? We can make that part of the movie. It's all about family. You and then the producers were like, what if Frodo's the bad guy? <laughs> exactly. And then everybody's like, all right. <laughs> and cool. everyone, And everyone who's like, ooh, spoiler alert. Shut the fuck up. It's, also, it, I don't. It's Witch Hunter. I don't know if that says a lot, but uh, that was his last film. Oh, it, well, I mean, it says enough. It does. You're He's right. like, oh, you know what? I think I need to get out. I think I'm out after exactly. this one. Exactly. Um, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. So, uh, Crazies, good movie. George Romero's good movie. Breck Eisner's also good movie. Yes, b- better, better movie. Better movie. Um, all right. So next up, we've got. Uh, uh, da, 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 da. 1974's oh this one has been in a bunch of news lately 1974's The Amusement Park have you heard about this it's the lost no. George Romero film oh you know what I did hear about it but I haven't this is one I haven't seen and it, no, well no almost no one has but it recently kind of got out there and it, I think it's being screened I've heard uh, the thing about it is I remember hearing someone describe and it might have been on another podcast. I can't remember, but someone was talking about this movie and then like what the concept is. And it sounds like something I want to see. Yeah. So let's see here. Long lost George Romero film. The amusement park is screening. Um, Ooh, I want to see it. Let's see here. Uh, the amusement park will be making its official premiere October twelfth. Oh, that just passed at Pittsburgh's Regent Square Theater. Oh, it's got to be in Pittsburgh. Everything is of his is in around Pittsburgh. Yeah, this movie looks crazy. It's like talking about ageism. You oh know man, I I want to see I want to see this so bad. It looks so strange. I don't even know. Uh. They said it's actually a PSA on age discrimination. Oh, really? 
Yeah, it says I'll the still six, watch it. The 60-minute film is titled The Amusement Park, and it's actually a PSA on age discrimination that Romero was hired to make early in his career. Oh, it was filmed for television, but never actually released. Nice. I'll have to catch a screening of that. I want to see it. It may be yeah. on my list. Who knows? Guys, Maybe an, it's el- terrible. an elderly gentleman sets out for what he thinks will be. Here, I'm going to read it in my movie announcement <sighs> voice. You ready? Please do. An elderly gentleman sets out for what he thinks will be a normal day at an amusement park and is soon embroiled in a waking nightmare, the likes of which you've never seen. Ooh, and no one did see it because it got shelved. Correct. 30 years. Correct, until like two weeks ago. Right. And only a handful of people in Pittsburgh got to see it. Awesome. Um, So moving on from that, uh, he drops off for about four years. No movie. Where'd you go, George? From 1974 to 1978. And then he comes back, and he comes back hard. He comes back with Martin. Now, we're not talking the Martin Lawrence show. Martin! Uh, it's a psychological horror drama. It, it follows a troubled young man who believes himself to be a vampire, which shares an odd, eerie similarity with Kiss of the Vampire, the Nicolas Cage movie. Where he also believes himself to be a vampire. Do we need to do this again? We do. And internationally, Martin is known as Vampire. <laughs> no. Yes. W-A-M-P-Y-R. Why? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many fascinating things. Does Martin the name not translate into other languages? Possibly. Now, Romero actually claimed that Martin was one of his favorite films. The thing is, okay, I know I've seen this movie. Like, I'm looking at pictures of it. I've read the description. I know I've seen it, but I remember nothing about it. Now, this movie was George Romero's uh, first collaboration with Tom Savini. Oh, okay. Special effects artist. Good old Um, man. Anytime you get people like that together, it's just going to be wonderful. And I don't know if you remember hearing about this as a horror fan, but during the uh, video, do you remember Video Nasties? Oh, yeah. So this was, it didn't get prosecuted for obscenity, but the film was seized and confiscated in the United Kingdom under Section 3 of the Obscene Publications Act. Really? During the Video Nasty Panic. See, in the United Kingdom, they got like boobies on television and the news. Yeah, but you cannot show gore. Oh, man, you know, and this movie, if I remember, is pretty heavy with, like, the blood. Exactly. I well, think it, was, it is. It was young Tom Savini. You know oh, what I'm saying? Man. He's really that, s- man, that, that Tom Savini guy, he's, he's, he's going places. So he did that, and then also in the same year, 1978, he did Dawn of the Dead. Here we go. Now, Dawn of the Dead is maybe my favorite of the dead picks. It is a hundred percent my favorite of the dead. Okay, picks. I'll play uh, my cards right now. It is a hundred percent my favorite of his zombie movies. Now, can I also put this out here? Yes, I also really love the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead. I think we talked about that in our like best remakes or best reboots. That was either number one or number two. I think it um, might have been number one. It is, in my opinion, the best thing that Zack Snyder has ever done. I would agree with that. And I think it's because he was able to take what was special about Dawn of the Dead 
and not reimagine it, but more m modernize it, but keep those themes. Like, it's the one that he did the most justice by, but I will say that I love the original. The original is just so good. Uh, it, obviously, people, if you've seen Dawn of the Dead or its remake, you know that the movie largely takes place inside of a mall. Right. Um, and features a cast of ragtag characters basically trying to survive the zombie apocalypse. I mean, which is great. And again, we talked about it a little bit with Night of the Living Dead, but, you know, George Romero kind of is making that consumerism allegory with zombieism and consumerism. And this one, he just... 100% doubles down on that. He's like, you're going to be trapped in the epicenter of consumerism. Which and, is awesome. Yeah, yeah, and again, it's just super, it's intriguing, it's interesting, but it's a, uh, it's kind of, it's not a bottle movie, but it kind of is a bottle movie. Um, and then the, just the, the gore effects on this one, and when we get to Day of the Dead, the gore effects on that one, they really take a step up. And honestly, that's, to me, one of the things, and you know I'm kind of a gore hound when it comes to these movies, but, like, that, to me, is what makes a good zombie movie, is you have to have the themes, and you have to have the story, and you have to have characters, but there needs to be a level of unmitigated gore well, to I a mean, zombie movie. This movie has a beginning scene that has a headshot where a zombie head just straight up explodes. Yeah. I mean, that's the opening of the movie. <laughs> yeah, but this, again, is another Tom Savini one. Exactly. And this kind of set up um, the look of Romero zombies because this was in color as opposed to right. Night of the Living Dead. So you had these gray-faced zombies. Yep. Um, which kind of became synonymous with the, or the, the Dead series for right. Romero. That's what his zombies look like. They're gray-faced, and they had, like... Um, the uh, bright, bright-hued red blood. <laughs> oh man, it's so good. Um, it's so, so that's, good. So that's an amazing movie, um, and you'll see that he kind of keeps revisiting uh, the Dead series throughout his career. Next up, we have Night Riders. This is another one that I haven't seen, but now, man, I looked into it a little bit before the episode, and I definitely want to. Now we're not talking. Uh, David Hasselhoff and, no, Mr. No. and Mr. Feeney. Did you know Mr. Feeney was the voice of the car? I totally knew. That okay, he was. good, 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 good. Um, no, we are talking the Ed Harris starring, and yes, we're talking the Abyss's Ed Harris here. Yes, you all know this Ed Harris. He and it stars Tom Savini, by the way. Oh, that's right. He's that's right. It. He's in this one. This is the one. Um, a traveling. Troop of motorcycle jousters. Medieval motorcycle medieval reenactment jousters. Tra a traveling troop of motorcycle re medieval reenactment jousters. Yes. That sentence alone should get you to this movie. Um, and basically uh, is kind of just like, uh, like turf wars within this motorcycle jousting community. <laughs> Imagine the warriors but way weirder. Right, like like way weirder. <laughs> I need to see this and I I haven't. I can't speak to it, but I I need to see it. All right, let's watch it. 
yeah. Knight Riders. Let's do a double feature of that and the David Hasselhoff And a couple pilot. of David Hasselhoff episodes. Yep. Guys, we're setting it up here. Just let us know. Just let us. You we'll knock, make it happen. We're setting it up. You knock it down, guys. We'll Twitch stream the shit out of these. <laughs> yeah, we will. Uh, so moving right along to 1982's Creep Show, which Love you mentioned it. earlier. Love it. Now, uh, are you you you're a Shutter member? Are you not? Uh, I'm not a member, but I used to be. Um, okay, but yeah. So I am. I a haven't watched Shutter their new the new yep, show yet. That's what I was going to talk about. So I am a Sh- Shutter member, and I. Uh, have watched all the episodes up to date of the new Creep Show series. Do you like it? I enjoy it. Um, I don't know that I love it. I must say, you don't sound head over heels for it. But there have been a couple segments that are awesome. Yeah, and a couple segments that are meh. That's um, kind of true with some of those uh, Creep Show sequels that George A. Romero wasn't involved with. Um. Honestly, now that uh, I stream it all seems to have gone the way of the dinosaur, I may start. I may sign up with Shutter. Five dollars a month, man. Yeah, that's worth it. It's like a third of the price of uh, I stream it all, and it's not being seized by the government. Worth it. Worth, worth it. it. Now, I will say this: for those who aren't familiar with Creep Show, first off, you're an idiot. Second oh, man, off, you got to watch it. Uh, it is a film that was not only directed by George Romero but written by Stephen King. Yes. Uh, making his film screenwriting debut. <laughs> and acting. That is true. I totally forgot about that. How uh, could you forget well, about I mean, the, the sad case of what's-his-face? <laughs> that is, that is. I wish that was the name, the sad case of what's-his-face. <laughs> it's a... Uh, rhymes. It's ac- I mean, it's accurate to what that story is. It is. Um, but... Like, lonesome death of Jordy Verrill, that's there it. There you go. Um, but... Th- this one, um, so this is pre, uh, what the fuck is that? Uh, uh, over maximum overdrive. <laughs> yes, this is pre that. This is pre maximum overdrive. Uh, cocaine snorting Stephen King. Now he was probably he was probably co- doing cocaine, cocaine during Creep Show. Um, but we've got Creep Show. We've got Day of the Dead. Oh. Now, Day of the Dead. See, a lot of people hate on this one. I sort of dig it. I, <laughs> I used say- to have like the special edition DVD. The thing that I dig about Day of the Dead is that it is incredibly gory. <laughs> sure. That's the thing that I love about it. Like there, there's a scene where a human literally gets like ripped in half and his stomach's coming apart and they pull his legs through a door. Like, th- like the, the special effects in Day of the Dead are awesome. Now, they did an homage to that exact scene you're talking about in Shaun of the Dead. Yes, they sure did. That happens with one of the characters. He gets pulled out through a door into a crowd and, like, basically ripped open and apart while he's alive. Right. Now, like, this wasn't a Tom Savini one, but, man, like, they upped the gore element of it. It's not—the movie itself isn't great, Um, but the special effects are awesome. Top notch. Interestingly— what I just said, top notch. It is now. Even though Tom Savini, this is a weird little fact too. Even though Tom Savini isn't in like in the movie as a special effects guy, Greg Nicotero is in the movie as an actor. Speaking of uh, the Creep Show remake, Greg Nicotero is shepherding that. Remake. Right, right, and he's a guy. If you don't recognize the name, guy, another another special effects guy. Also, The Walking Dead. He yeah, he's a- kind of the special effects leader guy for The Walking Dead. Um, but he's but an actor in Day of the Dead. That's crazy. I didn't know that. 
Yes. As like a part? He's one of the soldiers, I think. He's one of just like the random so he's not like a lead. He's just one of the like secondary soldiers, I believe. Interesting. Interesting. I know he's in it, yeah. So next up, uh now guys, we're skipping his writ writing or producing roles. Yeah, if this he is just like his direction. If he didn't direct it, it's not on this list. We don't want to talk about it. Uh so next up we've got Monkey Shines. <laughs> now, are you familiar with this movie? You know, I the poster. I know the poster. Okay. I am actually familiar with this movie because I watched this A when I was way too young and definitely shouldn't have watched this. I was probably <laughs> like thirteen or fourteen. Um this movie is about a, a paralyzed quadriplegic athlete who develops a bond with an intelligent service monkey who becomes <laughs> who becomes dangerously overprotective. There you go. That so is like the, child's play, but with a monkey. That is the log line, and it's as awesome as it sounds. That, um, I need to see this. I'm like going through some of the IMDb stuff on it. Like, Stephen Root is in this. Stanley this, Tucci is this in this movie. The Tooch. Um, hey, you ready for the best part though? Was that the monkey Ella is voiced by Frank Welker? <laughs> is it really? Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, but of course it is. How could you not get the Welker? Of course in? it is. I if mean, you need a, if you need monkey sounds, you got to get the Welker. You're Lion sounds, Welker. monkey sounds. He voices the dog in Space Jam. That's what I'm saying. Welker. Always Welker. When in doubt, Welker, Welker. it out. Well <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that got me. When in doubt, Welker it out. That's a that's a T-shirt coming soon oh. to the high five of the podcast. Take that, Michael Rosenbaum. Yeah, fuck Are you. Coming you. up with quips that good? No, no. You need to see the script before you can come up with a quip. Boo! I tell you what, they ain't Mike no Rosenbaum. <laughs> ain't no script on these quips. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that shit's coming straight off the dome. We're freestyling here. Freestyling. Um. So yeah, watch this movie, dude. Okay. <laughs> it's so fucking weird. Once again. It, but this was weirdly enough George Romero's first like studio film. Interesting, um, and it took him all the way to 1988 to do his first studio film. Uh, See, the thing is, like, this is one where I like I know this poster. Like, I'm looking at the poster. I've seen this poster in so many places, but I don't think I've ever actually watched this. Uh, uh, I need to. Yes, please do. Now, we're moving on. Uh, and now we are up to a movie that I'm I've never heard of, and I'm curious if you had. Okay, it's called Two Evil Eyes from mm. 1990. No, and it is an Italian American horror film written and directed by both Dario Argento and George Romero. Oh, interesting. Okay, so no, I'm I'm actually looking at this right now. It looks like, oh, it's like a a. a it's Multi kind of like multi-story. It's like, uh, what's the movie with Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino? Uh, a grind Grindhouse. House. It's kind of a grindhouse. It's two separate stories. One's by Romero and one's by Argento. Right. Both largely based on Edgar Allan Poe. And, th man, this movie came out, like, in 1990? Yeah. How did I miss this? Harvey Keitel. Adrian Barbeau is in this movie. What? How did I miss this? So I'm going to need you to go see this and report back to us. Okay, done. 
homework assignment. Um, so then in 93, he does one that I am probably most familiar with. Another Stephen King joint, if yep. you will, The Dark Half. Yes. Now, what are your feelings on the this adaptation? <sighs> I I actually really this is one where I really like the book a whole lot. Uh I wasn't thrilled with this. Because you've got Timothy Hutton. I don't Huts. like dislike the people that are in it. Like Michael Rooker is always great. I love him. And the sheriff, Alan Pangborn, is in a bunch of Stephen King stories, so it's fun to see. Speaking of Needful Things, Alan Pangborn's played by Ed Harris. So there's your connection True. Um, to all of this. I, I don't know. I like I again I like this story. I think this is a tough one to do as a movie. Sure. I don't know. It, is this one like super violent? I don't remember. It needs to be. Yeah, I do remember I remember the most famous scene that I can remember is a pencil to the cheek. Yeah. I just, I don't know. This one didn't really stick with me. I, I wanted to like it because it's got Romero and Stephen King involved, but I don't know. It just never connected with me. Can what I about, say, I mean, what about you? You said you're most familiar with this. Yeah, well, because this is one of the ones so, like, um, you and I have talked. You're a huge Stephen King fan, read oh, all yeah. the books. Gigantic. And I am the uh, the reverse of that. I am also a huge Stephen King fan, but I have hardly read any of the books, but I have seen, like, all of the mo- adaptations right. like any Stephen King adaptation. I have seen it for the most part. Um, and this is one that I saw probably pretty like often. It was, it was a go-to for me for just like putting on a background like horror. Sure. So I've seen it a bunch. Um, I don't think it's great. It's pretty cheesy. Yeah, that's what I remember is it being kind of like, oh, I don't know. But I always thought it like weirdly reminded me years later of The Secret Window. Oh, the Johnny the Johnny Depp one? Yeah. Which I yeah, I kind of like that movie. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. I um, can see that. But I it's got a similar there. like the writer whose dark half is kind of like, like emerging. Stuff. Yeah. Um, spoiler alert for that movie, but if you haven't yeah. seen it already, that shit came out like 15 years ago. Like, yeah, seriously, guys. And it's not, I mean, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Go watch it. Um, so the next up, we've got a movie. Now, I am kind of familiar with this. Um, the 2000 movie film Bruiser. Did you see this? It's got this- Jason Fleming, Peter Stormare. This is one where all of the pictures I'm familiar with, but I don't think I've watched it. I may have. I, th- I think I may have seen it once. Maybe. Sure. It's it's a very strange movie. I think I also saw this once. It's basically like it's very American Psycho. It's yeah. very like dude who's unhappy with his life having like weird violent fantasies. That you okay. can't tell if they're, like, real or not. I, the thing I remember about Bruiser is the white face. Yeah. The, like, weird featureless face. Yeah. It's got, like, weird pinhole eyes. Yeah. Um. So then we've got 2005's Land say, of the Dead. Then we get into his string of dead movies. That is that is true. Um. We've got Land of the And we can kind of lump those all together. Because let's yeah. be honest, they're all about the same quality. There, yeah. Well, Diary of the Dead is real bad. 
And it's a found footage, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. Real bad. Uh, so we've got Land of the Dead in 2005, followed right. by Diary of the Dead in 2007, and then his last film, which is Survival of the Dead. Right. In 2009. See, this was interesting. I remember when these came out, because especially with, um, I remember, Land of the Dead. Because it's like, oh, everybody, 2005, George Romero is returning to the zombie franchise. And it's got, like, people you've heard of in it. Like, Dennis Hopper is in it. And John Leguizamo is in it. And so I remember it being a big deal. <clears throat> and then seeing it and being like, eh. That meh. Because at this point, let's be honest, at that point, you'd already had the Dawn of the Dead remake. Yep. Um, And this was pre... This is pre-Walking uh, Dead, right? I think so. I'm actually looking that up right now. Um, I think so, but not by a, a lot. Um, So you would kind of... Zomp... Uh, I, I'm pretty sure 28 Days Later had come out already. I'm pretty sure uh, 2010 is when Walking Dead started. All right. So what about 28 Days Later? Would you look that one up for me? Yeah. I feel like 28 Days Later was around this. 28 Days Later was 2002. So it was actually three okay, years so before Okay, so three years before, before this. this. So people had kind of moved from the shambling zombies. Now we were getting rage zombies. Like yeah, fast. we sure were. We were getting fast zombies. Who would like attack the shit out of you, kind of thing, um, and so it almost felt a little um, tired it, at that well, point. It did, and and I remember like when it first came out, um, it was like, oh, cool, Asia Argento, you know, is in the movie. That's neat, um, and it's about the world after the zombies have taken over and how society is like continued existing. And it's like, well, that's neat. And then I watched it, and it was just kind of like a a mediocre sci-fi TV movie. Exactly. And like I even even some of the special effects, like I didn't think is, is this where they start doing more like CGI gore and stuff as yes. well? Okay. And that th that that is for me is a huge turnoff with these movies. Like I need practical effects in my zombie movies or I I just am immediately turned off a bit. I And this one was noticeable like Hey, this is kind of like Sharknado quality, and it shouldn't be. Like, you're George Romero. <laughs> agreed. 100% agreed. So, that being said, we've reached the end of the filmography, and I feel like we're ready for a list of the dead. Oh, I am ready. This is where we make a list. The list. Three, two. List. We're back. We're ready to list. Woo! And we've got some pretty good movies to choose from, and some pretty shit movies to skip over. So, like, I'm already. I'm gonna throw out like a handful of the ones that I haven't seen, and all of the post 2000 dead movies, like Land, Diary, Survival, all out. Those are those are fucking out. Now I'm also gonna throw out. There's always vanilla. And Season of the Witch. Yes, agreed. Uh, and I will go ahead and throw out the amusement park as no one has seen it. Yeah, that's not that's a, that can't count because, like, only five people have seen it. Not on there. Not now, on there. I would like to put up for list contention uh, 
Day of the Dead. Or no, excuse me, Dawn of the Dead. I I see your Dawn of the Dead, and I approve. Perfect. Uh, what about a creep show? Can we have a creep I show on the list? I desperately want creep show. Like, I want creep show, and I want, um, uh, uh um, shit. Uh, <clears throat> I want creep show, and I want uh, Night of the Living Dead on there. Okay. So we've got Dawn of the Dead, Creep Show, and Night of the Living Dead. Now, I will also put forth, because I enjoy the movie, is it a good movie? Definitely not. Is it weird and crazy? Yes. I would put Monkey Shines forward. I was going to ask you about that, because that's one that I haven't seen, but I didn't want to throw out, because it is one that I'm familiar with. It's just a really strange movie, and is not awful <laughs> right that makes sense um so i'd put that on there and personally i would also and if i have to choose between these two uh, i would also put the dark half on there only because it holds a special place for me because i've watched it so much so like dark half over i think day of the dead or martin those are kind of the other ones that are up for yeah i feel like consideration dark, dark half would be like if it were on the list it'd be five Sure, sure. Now, you you are like me, and you don't remember or haven't seen Martin, correct? Correct. That's a bummer, because I feel like that one might be worth being on the list. But since neither of us can speak to it, I don't feel great about putting it on there. I would agree with that. I, I am fine uh, to put the dark half, but it has to be five. It has to be number five. I agree. And then... We could also put, and I'm I'm honestly between the crazies and Day of the Dead. Well, I think we've we've got five already. We oh, don't do have room we? for either of those. Okay, what do we got? So right now we this is in no particular order, sure. um, except for number five, which is the dark half. Sure. And then we've got Monkey Shines, Night of the Living Dead, Creep Show, and Dawn of the Dead. And oh. honestly, that's kind of the order that I would vote for. Like number four, Monkey Shines. Number three, Night of the Living Dead. Number two, Creep Show, and number one, Dawn of the Dead. That's my order. Uh yeah, I actually would agree with that. Sweet. Let's lock that shit in. All right, locked in, guys. Your give definitive. Me the, give top me the five, headshot, George Romero. Here we go. Number five, The Dark Half. Yep. Number four, Monkey Shines. Number three, Night of the Living Dead. Number two, Creep Show. And number one, Dawn of the Dead. Yep. Amazing. I would say 100% that's it. We've we, resurrected this corpse. It is now it is a coming. shambling zombie. That uh, is shambling coming. all the way into our hearts and into the night. And, and Michael Rosenbaum can go suck a dick. It's coming to get you, Rosenbaum. It's coming, Michael. The script is coming. <laughs> All over your face. Ooh, Michael Rosen, burn. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Rosenbaum. <laughs> we have reached the end of another High Five, the podcast episode. It's time to lock up the writer's room and rest comfortably, knowing we knocked out another great list of things you should be watching. If the guys didn't mention your favorites this week in their lists, you can harass them by emailing them at myfive at highfivethepodcast.com. 
That's M-Y-F-I-V-E at H-I-G-H-F-I-V-E-T-H-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Got that? Or connecting with them on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash high five the podcast on Twitter at high the number five the podcast Instagram at high five the podcast or on Letterboxd by searching high five colon the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play or wherever else you listen to podcasts and drop the show a five-star rating to show us some love. What's the worst that could happen? Farting your skeleton out of your body? (laughs) Maybe. See you next week. And that's a wrap, everybody. Cut, Casper. That's a wrap. Cut, printed. What happens in the next reel? Cut. Okay, that's a print. Okay, cut. That's a wrap. That's a wrap, people. Now let's get the hell out of here.